Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think of a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 111 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we are all alone <laughs> together. Still. I'm Karen Peterson, joined as always by Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> oh man i did a poll the other like a week ago asking people if they thought that she put him in the septic tank fed him to the tigers or was totally innocent and most people believe she fed him to the tigers (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you don't (laughs) i mean if if you don't know what we're talking about um Subscribe to Patreon and go listen to our bonus episode and also watch Tiger King on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have to say, my, some, my, my roommate has finally, after I kept on, he kept on showing me memes and he was like, I think you understand this better than I do. And finally, I was like, you have to watch the show just to be in, the, just to know what's <laughs> happening. And he got to the end of the second episode and like came and knocked on my door and he was like, is that, just, is there a sex cult? <laughs> I was like, yeah, there is. I'm just like, did she murder her husband? I was like, gotta watch some more to find out. So I was telling my, because I watched it in almost one sitting, and I was texting my sister-in-law while I was watching episode three, because she had asked, like, should she had asked someone else on Facebook, like, hey, should we watch this? Is it good? So I texted her and I was like, oh my gosh, you guys have to watch the show. You will love it. And then I said, I even think Matthew could watch it. He's my nephew. He's 14. I said, I even think he could watch it. It'd be okay. And because <laughs> I think of some of the movies they let him watch. And I was like, yeah, this is nothing compared to that. And she says, oh, really? Because I heard it was pretty like racy and seedy and I was like no I said episode two talks a little bit about a sex cult but it doesn't really go into like detail or anything (laughs) so it's probably fine and then I get to number four and I told her I said if anything gets worse I'll let you know then I get to number four where Joe is like using a sex doll as a stand-in for Carol I was like oh hmm. (laughs) maybe I don't want my nephew watching yeah yeah I mean it gets to get pretty nasty in places it does yeah it's like episode four just kind of takes this turn where it starts to get exactly what she was talking about like her concerns I was like yeah okay I I, I've changed my mind Mm -hmm. (laughs) she's like thanks for letting me know I'm like yeah yeah I didn't want you to have to have that conversation (laughs) so but uh it's interesting some of the people that have been very opinionated about tiger king yeah um and not watching it and feeling like they are superior because they're not watching it (laughs) you seem to have had some experience with this yeah i don't know i guess it i mean obviously you know we did a whole bonus episode on it obviously the two of us really enjoyed it um uh, and, and I think that it does some really, really interesting things. I think that in some ways it is like an extended episode of 2020, which, you know, depends upon how you feel about 2020, I guess. But this kind of sort of almost sensationalist documentary filmmaking is very common. It's not something that, you know, has never been done before. Maybe not at this level and not to the degree that it's such an odd and outlandish story to begin with that... You know, it's almost, I think it would be difficult to make a documentary about this without it being sensationalist at some level, because it's sensational, because what's the, the events are sensational in themselves. Um, Yeah, but one of the things that began bothering me is, it it was two, two things. One, the people that were essentially, (laughs) essentially saying that they hadn't seen it, and that makes them, that essentially makes them better than everybody who has because well i don't like those kinds of things it's like oh okay i mean you know it's it's fair enough you don't have to watch something that you don't want to watch but that doesn't make you 
better than everybody. And in fact, because you don't actually know the content of the thing that you're that you're saying you're better than, it's it's sort of bullshit. I mean, you're making an assumption about what the documentary looks like, what the you know, and I think that a lot of people are making these assumptions based upon the memes and based upon the sort of more sensationalist uh, public conversation. Um, surrounding it, and there's definite, there's no doubt that there's a swath of people who have probably not taken the great, the best message from this documentary, which is that these people <laughs> are psychopaths and they're not to be admired, yeah. and it's just a crazy, intense, bizarre story. But you know, like we've said before, this is not a show that glorifies anyone, and even when it comes close, it like then points out the fact that th this is not, I mean, it's all kinds of criminal on so many different levels. You know, we can joke about sort of Joe's comments about Carol Baskin, just like that fucking bitch Carol Baskin. He stalked her. He threatened her numerous times. Right. And, and none of that is okay. That's dangerous. You know, however you feel about her as a person, that is not something to be admired. And I don't think that the, the documentary particularly is like, oh, isn't this funny or isn't this admirable? It's like, no, this is terrible. You know, it's so, so that that's, that's kind of on the one side. The other side is, is this sort of intellectual superiority of what well, I only like, uh, real quote real documentaries documentaries that are unbiased serious documentaries and that was an element that began to set me off because first of all that that tells me something about the person who's talking namely that they're <laughs> that they're not as intellectually superior as they think they are because they obviously don't know a great deal about documentary filmmaking or, or film theory around documentaries one of the foundations of which is that there is no such thing as an unbiased documentary Right. Uh, and which makes sense if you begin to really think about it, you know, there is every single documentary that we watch has some kind of a bias it, because you're make because the filmmaker and the writers and, and whoever else is participating is making a choice of what to show and what not to, what is in frame and what isn't, what, you know, you can, you could take, you could spend six hours, right? taping someone and just letting them talk off the cuff without asking them questions. That is about as unbiased as you could possibly get. But at the end of the day, you're still going to have to decide what to show of that. You know, what is mm -hmm. relevant to uh, the film that you're making and what is the film about? So you have to cut it down. You have to re-edit it. You have to make choices about where you cut them off and where you don't. Um, and the second that you begin to do that, the second you begin to edit you've already proclaimed a bias. Now, it might not be a total bias, you know, and, and I think that there is definitely a divide between documentaries, that say, made by Michael Moore, who has a definite political or social or cultural product, like a uh, project in what he wants to express, right? They're much closer to what used to be referred to as essay films, which are like the films that like Godard made a whole bunch of them, where it's essentially like, I have a thesis, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to make a documentary that is proving my thesis, which is totally fair, but it is biased. Um, so there are the films that like what Michael Moore makes, and then there are the more ones that try to present themselves as more unbiased and some movies like, uh, The Thin Blue Line, uh, or Tabloid, the, uh, one of Errol Morris's other films, um, or, you know, Nanook of the North, which is supposed to be unbiased, but we know that they actually had reenactments of events. <laughs> uh, as, and, and that's one of the earliest forms of documentary. So the, the whole concept that there is such a thing as an unbiased documentary, or that there is a documentary that doesn't make some kind of a, a, cultural or political choice about what it presents is untrue. There is no such thing as truth in cinema. Um, and I think that there are a lot of people who don't get that. And, and actually what a number of the quote unbiased documentaries essentially are doing is that they're doing their best to maintain distance, but they're also at some level concealing a bias. Uh, one of my friends mentioned that there, there's a, a reason why someone makes a film about something. You know, you're interested in it for some reason. You know, maybe it affected you personally. Maybe it is just something that you find fascinating. 
Um, maybe you thought you were making a movie about one thing and you turned out you were making a movie about something else, but this, but you're still bringing a perspective to it. Uh, so it just, it drives me crazy to hear people going like, they're like, well, I, I only watch serious documentaries that in which no one is, is expressing a bias about anything. And it's like, that's, that's bullshit. You don't know what you're talking about, essentially, because that, that says, that says to me that you, you have a mediocre mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that, um, which we know most people do have mediocre minds, but uh, that sounds harsh, but uh, that that was the first thing that came into my head. Just like, you're just a mediocre intellect, aren't you? (laughs) Yep, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I think that, that in my experience, the smartest people I know are exceptionally well-read, exceptionally well, like they just, they know... They don't necessarily know like a lot about one thing. They know they know stuff about a lot of things mm-hmm. and that makes them more interesting people too. And um I don't know. It's funny because some people don't seem to understand the difference between documentary having a point of view and documentary being propaganda. Mm-hmm. And there is a difference. And like you say, I mean, yeah, every every documentary, every movie, everything has a bias because we have biases just inherent in us. It's, you know, everything that we do is impacted by our experiences, by our beliefs, by our values, by all the things that make us us. And it's not possible to make art and not infuse it with those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and documentary is an art form. But, uh, but yeah, I think some people get confused and they think that just because it has those, you know, personal touches or that point of view that it's, that the person that's making it is trying to indoctrinate everyone else. Like, no, they're just trying to show the story the way they see Mm -hmm. it. And there's a difference. Well, and there's, yeah, there's, there's also this divide between, you know, you talk about talking head documentaries, which is is sort of what Tiger King Mm -hmm. is. There's, there isn't a lot of, we don't see much of the filmmakers as filmmakers, right? right? We, there, we get a little bit of them and there's, there's sometimes they sort of express things, but we don't really see them. We don't hear them asking questions. You know, what was the question that was asked to prompt the response? Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and we just see the response, right? And that, on the one hand, that can, that kind of gives the impression that the the subjects are talking off the cuff, that they're just sort of saying what they're they're not being interfered with by the filmmaker. Um, of course, they are being interfered with by the filmmaker at some level because at some point someone has to prompt them to talk, right? Even if it's just to say, you know, tell us your side of the story about X, right? Um, and then they just talk about it, but that's still prompting them. That's still getting them to express themselves in a particular way. And, and it can be deceptive. It can essentially be like, okay, well, we're going to show, we're going to cut together these images. We're going to cut together these interviews and you're constructing a narrative. Essentially you're, you're constructing this, this whole story and you're doing it also for the point is, is entertainment at some level, right? It's expose, but it's also entertainment. You, you're, you're telling an interesting story. Otherwise, we're not going to sit there and watch it. And that's true for anything. Um, you know, that's true for, for the Thin Blue Line, and that is true for Tiger King. You have to tell me an interesting story to get me to care. But in telling that interesting story, it can come out sensationalized. It can come out as biased. It can come out as having as bearing a perspective. And so, you, as viewers, we always have to be aware of that. What isn't being said? What is what part of the story isn't being told? And mm-hmm. I think that you know, there's definitely parts of the story that aren't being told in Tiger King. Uh, there's definitely oh, things yeah, that they're sure. not showing and that they're not talking about. I don't get the impression that they're doing it because they want us to have a particular impression of people. I got the impression that they're doing it because they, they're trying to tell an interesting narrative. Um, and they're constructing a narrative that's also happening in real time as the film is being made. Because mm-hmm. this, what, they started filming this like five years ago. And so there, there's an arc there. There's stuff that, that happens and that changes <laughs> over the course that they couldn't have predicted, yeah. you know, and, they, and that they also didn't engineer. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that we have to approach this at a, from a much more nuanced perspective than, than just like, 
you know, I'm better than you if I if I don't like this, or I'm better than you because uh, it kind of it reminds me of college kids. It reminds me of me when I was like 18 years old or so. Just like well, I only watch serious movies. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, bullshit, <laughs> bullshit. That's not true. But, you know, you would hope that, that people would eventually grow out of that. Yeah, but they don't. Yeah. I mean, look at any time, like, just look at when the Oscars are on or the Super Bowl or um, Coachella or anything that's like a big pop culture event that a lot of people are talking about. Like, go on Twitter and see the comments because you've got a lot of people that are really excited and you've always got... A bunch of people that are like acting like they're too good for this and every everybody's stupid except for them they're the only educated ones that are not watching this drivel you know and it's like like what you like you know and and why i don't understand the need to tear people down because you're not on board with what they're interested in yeah go celebrate the things that you're interested in who cares exactly and it doesn't make you better than anybody else just because you choose you know just because you choose different forms of entertainment yeah exactly oh man i i could talk a lot longer about that but i won't (laughs) (laughs) from a lot of personal experiences but that's okay um let's see what else is going on this week well all right, so more movies got canceled, or not canceled, but moved, uh, rescheduled, postponed, some delayed indefinitely. Um, Top Gun Maverick got got delayed to December, and it was really funny because I was, I just joked, I retweeted the Variety article, and with like a crying emoji, <laughs> <laughs> and. I was joking, like, who cares, you know? And a couple of people messaged me and were like, are you okay about this news? Are you all right? And I'm like, it's a movie. (laughs) And also, I've never understood why it's not coming out in May of 2021 anyway, because that's the 35th anniversary of the first one. And it's like, if you've waited this long, may as well just make it on an anniversary. So December is also weird to me. Just delay it till next summer. It's fine. (laughs) Like, who cares? But it was just so funny. But yeah, I feel like all the movies are oh, going to come out in December. It'll just and we'll just be like nobody can watch all of this. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> I honestly I think it's going to depend on what the Academy decides to do, yeah. and those announcements should be coming out this month if they decide to um to waive the the eligibility rules for this year. Then it's going to be different. I think more things will be released on demand. Um, things like Top Gun won't, because that's one that, like, I can tell already. You're going to want to see that on an IMAX screen, you know. But other things that would normally be awards contenders, I think those will get released on uh, streaming platforms Mm -hmm. instead of waiting to the end of the year. But if the Academy doesn't change that rule, then yeah, November and December are going to be... (laughs) ridiculous i mean they're they're gonna have to change the rule aren't they it's it's otherwise i don't i don't even see how they're going to be able to go ahead with the academy awards given that so many films are just not going to be able to be released in theaters yeah that's the thing it's like so we've got the movies that have already come out that anything that came out by uh march not even the 13th, like they would have had to be out by the 7th because the theaters all got shut down on the 14th, 15th, and they have to have seven days by that rule um, in a theater in New York or LA. Actually, I think it's just LA. But um, anyway, so then that leaves anything that's going to come out after the quarantine lifts. But there are a bunch of movies that are in the boat where they weren't finished and now nobody's able to work because they can't work from home. And so there's, there's a bunch of stuff that even won't come out this year now because it can't, but, but yeah, there's a lot of other things, stuff that came out at Sundance that got picked up, Mm -hmm. uh, that was going to wait until later in the year. Some of that, it's like, just release it. Now you've got a captive audience, Yeah, but I can see why they're waiting. Yeah, it's true. And and people are willing to, yeah, particularly for a new film right now. Right? Mm-hmm. People are, will- are going to be willing to pay for those and are, are, will be willing to, you know, do like the, the Kino Marquee things that we've been talking about to actually, you know, pay, essentially pay, pay the price of a theater ticket uh, and in order to see them. There are definitely a few films that I would be willing to do that for. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
Um, but one thing that's really cool that's happening is that South by Southwest, which was the first big event of the year to get canceled because of the virus, um, they are actually moving forward with sort of a mini online festival. I say mini because most of the things that we're going to screen are probably not going to now. Um, but they are going to have a festival that's online and I believe it's going to be free. It'll be mm -hmm. through Amazon, uh, through Amazon prime video. And it's actually being called prime video presents the South by Southwest 2020 film festival collection. And we don't know exactly what all is going to be included in it. And I don't think they've actually specified the dates, but it's going to be 10 days and, um, everything's going to be exclusively on prime video for those 10 days. And yeah, it will be free to all audiences around the country with or without a prime membership. All that you need to have is an Amazon account, which you can sign up for that for free if you don't already have one. So I think this is really, really cool. I'm interested to see which films are going to participate, but I think this is a, a great opportunity for people who don't normally, for anybody who was going to go to South by that didn't get to, now they still get to catch up on some of the things that they would have missed. Um, and not just people in the industry, like there's tons of, of just film fans that fly from all over the world. They get to go and now they get an opportunity to participate. And then on top of that, um, it's going to introduce people who normally don't care about this stuff, but maybe they, like you just were saying, Lauren, that, you know, they're craving something new. They're craving something they haven't gotten to see before. And now they'll try out a festival film that they normally would never in a million years have watched. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've seen some, I've seen some interesting reactions to this because of, because uh, it's not, it, it isn't 100% clear how it's all going to work yet. Uh, and it sounds like that the filmmaker is going to be allowed to opt in basically. So yes, mm -hmm. I want my film to be, to be featured. No, I don't. And so they're not being for, it's not like we're just going to put all of the films that we're going to be at South by on Amazon. Like that's not right. how it's worked. They have to, they have to make the choice. I would be interested to know how after this is over, what does that mean for the film itself? Yeah. And does Amazon retain any rights to it, any exhibition rights, you know, anything like that? Because that, that when you get into some of the legal issues um, and, you know, how much of this are they signing away in letting their film be, be featured on, on this thing? So I could see like the positives and negatives. And there've been a number of people who've talked about these issues. They, the other, the other issue is that, you know, film festivals for a long time have been very, um, have felt very exclusive, right? You have to go to a particular place, you have to pay a lot sometimes um, just to go there, uh, to get tickets, mm -hmm. to get, you know, bundles, etc. So if you're not a member of the press, if you don't get, um, if you don't get, you know, press screenings or comp tickets... Uh, and even if you are, you still have to go and you have, and someone has to pay for you to live and stay stay in hotels and and transportation and all of that stuff. Um, so I mean, there's a whole industry that that exists around it. But it's interesting that that something I've talked with a number of people, like when I've gone to Tribeca or New York Film Festival, which I go to, you know, I I pay to to get on the subway and that's about it because I can get them to press screenings, um, and I live in New York. But a number of people that I've talked to are like, well, don't you, like, in order to go, don't you have to, like, have, don't you have to be accepted or something? I was like, you mean, like, as a member of the public? And they're like, yeah, it's just, <laughs> no, like, you don't have to be invited to go to New York Film Festival. If you're in New York, you could buy a ticket to right. go to the festival. You could buy bundles of tickets. You know, they have plans and stuff like that. But there is this kind of mystique of exclusivity around a lot of film festivals. And this, I think, well, I think part of that is just because for, for like music festivals, for example, you buy one ticket and it's usually a very, very expensive ticket and that gives you access to everything. And so I think that people assume that film festivals are the same way. I think they, a lot of people don't understand that you buy individual tickets for individual movies mm -hmm. or you can buy a pass that gets you in everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so there, but 
I, I think it would be interesting to see how uh, with something moving online and essentially being available to the public, at least in the United States, for free, uh, I'll be interested to see how kind of people react to that. And and I am getting a few glimmers of some press folks that are angry about it. And I my, my feeling is that they might be a little angry about losing their exclusivity, uh, mm-hmm. which... You know, we we see sometimes in film criticism where people are are actively angry that this thing that up and that you know is just like, well, I got to see it, you know, five months before everybody else did, and then suddenly it's like, well, everybody now gets to see it at the same time. So there is that side of it that is that this is a a, a democratizing again of film, um, and particularly of and South by Southwest like has some some very high high caliber films and. Um, Films that that wind up, you know, going on to. I think what is what was it last year? Was it us, or was that the year before? Mm-hmm. Yeah, last year was that us. Got, that guy was premiered at South by uh, so. The year before was like think a quiet place. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so the, and those are major major films. But you've got people who went to South by Southwest, including press, who got to see them three months in advance of of the rest of the public. Uh, so yeah, that gap is narrowing right now because of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there's some sour grapes. There's some press that are angry about losing that that sort of exclusive bragging rights, essentially. Yeah. And, I mean, I have to be careful what I say about our colleagues out there in the world. But I think that there there is a group of people that that seems to be all they care about. And, like, for me, and I know for you, the reason I love writing about film and talking about film is because I love sharing that with other people. And I love sharing my my passion and my enthusiasm for good movies. I don't care that I, I actually sometimes hate when I see stuff six months ahead of time and I can't talk to anybody about it. Like, yeah, it's killing me that you haven't gotten to see Promising Young Woman yet and we can't <laughs> talk about it until who knows when, you know? Like, that kind of thing. I I actually wish that everyone was watching stuff around the same time that I was because I love to talk about things and I don't want to keep it all to myself and it doesn't give me a sense of, of like, importance or pride or whatever. But, it, you know, for some people it does and I, I feel kind of bad for them that that's how they base their identity. That It's like, really, is that the only thing that you have? Well, yeah, there, there's this attitude of, like, a first, you know, it's kind of like the first person to comment on a YouTube video or something, but it's, yeah. it's similar with films, like, I was the first, I, I did the first review, you know, and it's like, good for you, like, I don't, all right, and, and I mean, we saw mm-hmm. it last year with a lot of the reactions to Joker, that by the time Joker actually came out, right, the, like, everybody like it was in theaters the public got to see it Mm there had been so much discussion of it and debate over it and there had been this these extensive press cycles of talking about it um from the time that it premiered what it it showed at venice right last year yeah from the time it started at venice to the time that it was actually released and everybody else got to see it it had been so heavily marketed and politicized and all of these other things that it was diff- it was difficult to be like what is the actual reaction to it what is the reaction to the movie versus what is the reaction to all of the stuff that has got that has swirled around the movie and you know if that had happened this time you know th- this year i think it would be very very different if everybody got to see it all at once suddenly you know i think that we would have had a different conversation basically mhm yeah it's well, it's funny, like, that you bring up Joker specifically, because that premiered in Venice in, like, the beginning of September. It comes out in theaters in the beginning of October. So it had only been about four weeks. It felt like it had been six months. It was only four weeks, really? That's, oh, dear God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no more so. advanced screenings. <laughs> yeah, Venice is, like... <laughs> no more up? advanced screenings. Everybody has to see it at the same time. No more. <laughs> That's seriously <laughs> seriously it's it's just yeah I, i'm actually fact checking myself it came out on october 4th it it premiered in venice august 31st so it yeah. had been five weeks so so five about a month. weeks wow and it seriously felt like it had been most of the year wow 
But I think part of that is because for so long, uh, a bunch of us, and I was part of that too, had been expressing our concerns and disdain for the film mm. for a long time too, even before anybody ever saw it. So That's true. Yeah. It just that that one in particular just was really long. But anyway, um, South by Southwest. Yeah. So 10 days. Um, basically, filmmakers, like you mentioned, they can opt in. They It's not automatic and it's not. I mean, yeah, they have to decide. And so I think what you're going to see playing here are films that were already going to be purchased by Amazon anyway. Mm. And ones that probably don't have distribution because Things like The Lovebirds, that got sold to Paramount. Uh, I think Paramount had that and they sold it to Netflix. So Netflix is going to release that. Obviously, they're not going to let Amazon show it first. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. The filmmakers who do participate will receive a screening fee, according to the press release that came out from the festival organizers. So they'll receive a screening fee for streaming their film over the 10 day period. How much that fee is, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, will that depend on how many people actually watch it? Will it depend on, will it just be kind of a flat rate? I don't know, but they will get compensated for it, which is interesting. Um, and that also makes me wonder more. Yeah. What are, what, what does happen after, <laughs> After this is over, do they retain all their rights or does Amazon keep some of them now? <laughs> hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. But but I'm sure anybody who is going to consider participating in this hopefully will have someone look over the contracts very carefully and make sure that they know what they're they're getting into. Yeah. But you know? I I think this is great and I hope that it works out really well and that it gives uh, it, and that people will take this opportunity to watch some stuff. Yeah. Cuz there's some really fun, interesting voices out there. I mean, last year I was with Kristen and we had just been in a situation and they just basically told us like, "Hey, pick 10 movies, we'll give you tickets for it just because of what was going on." And this is not normal. That does not happen. Um, But uh, we were going through the guide and we had kind of a gap in our schedule one of the days. And I was looking through and I was like, huh, Will Forte's in this movie. This sounds kind of interesting. Maybe we should go see it. And we went and watched Extraordinary and regretted nothing because that movie is great. And we'll talk about that more in a bit. I was gonna I was gonna say that was a good transition. Wow. Well heck, let's talk about it now let's then. Let's talk about it now. I was like, that was fluid. <laughs> yeah, actually. I'm because we've we've talked about this movie a few times over the last year. Yeah. Um but for those who are new who don't know extraordinary is a movie about a woman who lives alone she has this gift of um being able to talk to the dead um but she has suppressed this gift for a long time because as a child something went terribly wrong and she lost her father and uh but now there's this guy who is a single father. His wife has been dead for a few years and he suddenly needs her help. And she finds him somewhat attractive and decides to use her powers again and help him. And it's a comedy that involves Will Forte as a Satan. Well, as a, as an eighties one hit wonder who sells his soul to the devil for another record. Um, there's, um, a driving school there are haunted potholes <laughs> there are all kinds of funny things this movie is really really great and so funny yeah i i described it in my review on on our website as like an, an irish ghostbusters which is is mm-hmm. in the best possible way you know which is very i think that's about as close as it comes yeah i mean i we said this last year you guys were like lauren you have to see this movie (laughs) 
this movie was made for you. And then, and then I did, and I was like, oh my god, this movie was made for me. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's awesome. It's very, very funny. It's very sort of, it, there's a lot of Irish humor in it, so it's very tongue-in-cheek and sort of deadpan in places. Um, but also you've got, like, this added element of Will Forte being this, like, double worshipping one hit wonders <laughs> trying to find a virgin sacrifice in in the middle of this you know story about this woman who is who doesn't want to be a spiritual medium but basically won't be left alone like she can't stop seeing ghosts uh and and just like yeah and all of that craziness and everything it really it's and it's actually frightening like there's there are scenes that i was like legitimately this is creepy this is like good Mm -hmm. scary shit you know uh yeah and you really don't know what's gonna happen yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly it's it's very funny and it is um it's gonna be one of the the films that kino marquis is uh is showing um to, to and obviously we've talked about this uh, several times, but you know you you can um, go and support your your local art house theater when this this film gets released, and you can essentially buy a street a quote theater ticket to to stream films online, uh, and and this is one that they're that they're going to do, and I really do recommend it. Like the this one is is just one that I'm like please people like pay to see it because it really is good and it's funny and it's mm-hmm. weird and it all it will also lift your spirits just because you know it's it's a good horror comedy and it has one of the very best last lines in any movie ever <laughs> <laughs> it does it does <laughs> oh, i love it so much but yeah i rented it last night or Bought my ticket last night on Kino Marquee. I'm going to watch it tonight. I'm going to have a, you know, good dinner and just, you know, sit back and watch it. What's cool about Kino Marquee is that you have a few days. So, like, you buy your ticket and then you have, like, five days or something to watch the film. So, um, but yeah, I've it's been great because normally during this time I'd be really busy and running around, at, you know, going to events and stuff and... I wouldn't be getting over to my theater right here, but now I'm buying tickets and helping them out. And it's great because I love this theater and I don't want it to go away. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a blessing to have it in our community. And, um, and there are a lot of theaters like that across the country. You know, I mean, when I was at Sundance, I had this awesome conversation in line because when you're at festivals, you know, sometimes you talk to just the people around you and just start up conversations. And I was talking to this lady who runs a a theater in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she was just so interesting to talk to. And and it was just really cool. And so I think about people like that Mm -hmm. and, Oh man, how are they going to keep going through all this? And this is one way to help ensure that they do. Yeah. That's really good, and you and you get to watch some good movies, and you get to support local theaters. And I, I am glad that one of the things that this is doing is is it, it is we've talked about this before. It is making us kind of think about what we value, uh, and and we mm-hmm. do value those places. Those places that seem like they're just always going to be there. You know, the local restaurants, the local theaters. Um, they're just like, yeah, I love this place. Just you know, not because it's necessarily better than than you know the big the bigger movie theaters but sometimes they show different films or um Mm -hmm. or they're just something that you have a warm feeling about and and we we're recognizing that those kinds of places are the ones that are the most in danger and it's been very heartening to see how many people and and services places like kino marquis and kino lorber are actually trying to step up and and help protect and help to fund continue to fund those theaters uh, and so it's it's nice, the, you know, those those small things that come out of something like this, where it's just like, oh, people actually, you know, care about it, how, care about each other, uh, and and want to support one another. Yeah, you know, it's funny with Kino and man. I mean, <laughs> if you guys want to sponsor this show, we will take your money. But um... <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously, at this point, we're just like Kino Criterion. Like, come on, guys, we're giving you a lot of free advertising. Yeah. 
It's so true. But it's really funny because it's like, I mean, for a long time, I've appreciated Kino Lorber and and I think that they've done some interesting things. And I know you've actually gotten to review some really cool stuff because of them. But I don't think it's been until this quarantine that I really realized how valuable of a resource and an asset they are mm-hmm. to the industry. And I have this newfound appreciation for what they're doing because I feel like so much more than the big studios who care about what they can make money on next and not what they used to make money on before, you know, or what isn't going to make any money, but is still valuable. Like they don't, they don't care about that. But Kino, they, they do as a, as an organization, as a company, they want to preserve our film history and they want to celebrate artists from around the world neon does this too and it's really i don't know i've really come to appreciate how much we need those companies Mm -hmm. and how much we need criterion and you know because if we lose our history we lose our culture yeah and and i'm just so I just have this appreciation that I didn't have before. And so it's like I'm seeing some good things come from this quarantine. Not that I want this to happen. Not that I want this crisis, this pandemic to be going. But I think when when terrible things happen, if you can get something valuable out of it, then that's, you know, mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah. I guess. So anyway, go watch Extraordinary. It's great. <laughs> so we... <laughs> We had a resurgence going back to people having opinions, <laughs> mostly men. Uh, we had a resurgence of the old argument this week about Birds of Prey, since that's now available to own on streaming and physical media. Um, and everyone should, if you haven't watched it, why? Like, have we not convinced you enough? Come on. But, um, yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about what happened this week with Birds of Prey, Lauren? Well, I'm not going to mention this dude's name because I don't want to give him that kind of advertising, But nor do I think that he listens to us at all because he his dick might fall off. Um, <clears throat> but I think that most people who, who you know are on Twitter, maybe in, in, within film Twitter, know who we're about to talk about. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, as we know, as we know, Birds of Prey has caused many men's dicks to fall off. Like, just, just the fact of it, just the existence of it is just, you know, it's decimated a certain section of the male population. Um, and what I found really, really funny is that obviously it's now available. You can, you can, uh, buy Birds of Prey on most streaming services and you own it. Uh, you pay 20 bucks for it, and it is now yours. Uh, so I have, of course, done that. I have watched it a couple of times. I was watching it yesterday, in fact. Um, and and this, this particular gentleman who has been, I, I will have to say this, has been bitching about this film since before it was released, right? He... Mm-hmm posted uh, he finally saw it and he posted this extensive thread about how bad it was how it was objectively bad too it wasn't just that it was like a, a film that he didn't like it was no it was objectively bad like the fight choreography was apparently objectively poor fight choreography bad costuming <laughs> bad all of this i i guess he doesn't realize that the dude who did john wick is the did the fights for this film uh i believe (laughs) so like he was very very angry obviously you know oh a terrible villain the women are not sexy (laughs) well if you don't think the women are sexy you don't like girls yeah i mean i don't i don't even yeah i I, that that one has always (laughs) shocked me it's just like there's so many men who want to advertise the fact that they're that they they can't find women sexy (laughs) that like they can't that they're having difficulty getting erections i'm like I don't know, guys. I feel like that that's something that um, you don't want to tell everybody. But okay, you know if that's you know, and they have doctors for that sort of thing. I mean, don't go to them now because they're busy. But and one of my one of my favorites was that and I'm only talking about the objective aspects of the film. If you want to discuss the anti men third wave feminism themes, it gets even more insulting. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I do kind of want to be like, is that because you know that they're talking about you? I mean, is that really... I have a feeling that you know that you're the one who's getting his ass kicked throughout this entire uh-huh. movie. Um, but what ultimately made me laugh about this was that the film is only available to purchase right now on various streaming services. And it is available for $20 a pop, which is more than most theater tickets in, in all but the major metropolitan areas. But it's definitely like, I think my, the regular price that, that I would have paid would have been about $16, right? And I live in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so in all but the major metropolitan areas, uh, the, you know, this film to purchase on Amazon is more expensive. So this guy paid $20 to own a movie that he already <laughs> hated before he even saw it. And that he then spent a, an entire Twitter thread to like dump on. So he contributed to this film's take. He gave them money in order to own the feminists. <laughs> and ultimately what has happened is that, you know, everybody has mocked him pretty soundly, uh, including us. So I don't know, I just found it really funny. And I find it very funny that these guys are willing to shell out their own money now to, to, be, to <laughs> yep. be like, you know what? I don't like girls and, uh, and you know, Harley, Harley Quinn not being sexy enough who, you know, I don't know. I, I still don't understand how you look at Margot Robbie and go like, oh, no, she's not hot. Like, I, <laughs> what is wrong with you? Or for that matter, um, any of the women in that movie, except for like the child. I don't know. Right. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's <laughs> like it makes me laugh. But it also makes me cry a little bit that these men exist and that they have platforms and people listen to them. But, yeah, I just... The objective part is what always gets me. It's, how are you someone who considers yourself a professional person in this industry and you still think that there are objective aspects to art? Like, how many times have we had to have this yeah, conversation? Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's obvious that he's just really, really angry that his dick fell off. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm yep. sorry, dude. I mean, I've never had one, but if mine fell off, I might be mad about it, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I love Birds of Prey. It's fantastic. I love that uh, you pointed out that they didn't even change... Uh, they didn't change the title yeah. for the home release. That's awesome. Yeah, it's still Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, <laughs> which is its full title. Good. It should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Go watch it. If you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. And if you've seen it, go watch it again. Because it's great. And we will not stop talking about it. Except for right now, we're going to move on to another topic. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a question from Michelle at Gamecock Mitch. What are your top three or five, if you have enough, actresses that have criminally never won an Oscar? I have a few. Lauren, do you have some? I definitely have a few. Do you, do you want me to start? Yeah, why don't you go ahead well, and Well, so I decided that I wanted to give a list of, of people that are dead um because i i figure that if if an actress is currently alive and is still working then you know there's always the chance that she's going to win uh an oscar so but there are a number there are a lot of great actresses who have not won oscars and uh, never won oscars throughout their life um one that i was really surprised by actually was greta garbo who is who was such a, a huge star in her time and she was nominated a number of times. She was nominated uh, for Ninochka. She was nominated for Camille. She was nominated for Anna Christie. Um, she was nominated for Romance. And <clears throat> and the with Ninochka, it's uh, kind of understandable. She lost to Vivian Lee in Gone with the Wind, uh, which was a huge film uh, also. But still, just like you, you didn't give Garbo an Academy Award. She did get an honorary <laughs> award. But that doesn't really count. Like, you, how can you not have given Garbo 
something. Come on, guys. Uh, yeah. What's the matter with you? So, uh, another one, a lot of... Um, another one's Marlena Dietrich, who, you know, I, we've talked about a couple of times. And I, I think that there are a lot... Actually, if you look at some of the lists of, act, you know, great actresses who never won Academy Awards, there were a lot of women from uh, this period, particularly ones who kind of got shoehorned into particular personas uh that wound up not winning so someone like marlena dietrich who is very like we've even talked about it she has this very powerful star persona um she never won an oscar and she really should have i mean if you watch her in anything like witness for the the prosecution um uh, judgment at nuremberg uh she has this range that is we're almost you're almost surprised by it because Dietrich is such a she's such a overarching image right um but she has this range and this nuance to her performances that is really quite surprising uh and she she really should have received something again I can't so some of these I'm just like I don't understand what the reasoning would have been to not give them awards um yeah and then the the third one is Thelma Ritter and if you've seen any films from uh from like any time really between the 1940s through the 1960s uh you have seen Thelma Ritter in something she's in everything she's a fantastic uh supporting she's a fantastic character actress and she was actually nominated six times six times as a best supporting actress including um uh, All About Eve, Birdman of Alcatraz, Pick Up on South Street, uh, Pillow Talk, for some reason. I mean, she definitely should have went won for All About Eve. All About Eve basically walked off with all of the Academy Awards that year. I don't understand how she did not. But uh, she, yeah, she really should have won. And uh, if you don't know who Thelma Ritter is, like, you do because you've seen her. Like, just look her up. Yeah. Uh, she was in Rear Window. She's in All About Eve. She shows up. She often plays housekeeper characters, etc. She has, again, one of those actresses that you almost forget about because she's so good and she's so able to embody her roles. Um, and she's, But she's always good. There's never a time when you're like, oh, no, we forgot Thumber. She was basically that generation's uh, character actress, Margot Martindale. So, mm-hmm. so those, are, those are three that really honestly just surprised me that they had never won anything yeah and and all those are surprising uh we actually before we started recording we're talking about judy garland and technically technically she won because she got a juvenile award but she never won a competitive best actress oscar judy garland never did that's it's mind-blowing and there's some of those that are really just how did that not happen you know but so when i was looking at my list though i was looking at actresses that are still alive that could still win um people that i hope eventually will um some of these better get on it because they're not getting any younger um (laughs) but yeah so the ones that that popped into my mind were michelle yeo Mm -hmm. um I love her. She's amazing. And I'm glad that she's kind of had a resurgence, but I don't think it's going to be enough to get her an Oscar nomination. She should have won for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She was so good in that movie. But um, (laughs) Glenn Close. (laughs) (laughs) So close. She keeps on. She keeps on almost getting there. (laughs) God. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, I, I mean, she was so great in The Wife and I love Olivia Coleman. I love the favorite. I will never be an unhappy that she won for that. But at the same time, it's like if there was ever a time that she, that Glenn Close was gonna win, I think it was that mm-hmm. that year. And I don't think it's gonna happen for her now. I just I don't. And that's it's like it's so sad. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like well, but she's had a great career and she's not like crying about it. So, um. Yeah. In fact, I love her reaction when when she lost last year and she just kind of starts laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so perfect. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer Mm -hmm. is another one that, I mean, I think that she still does really good work and she's still in interesting projects, but I think it's been a while since she's done the kind of thing that would get her 
to the Oscars. And I think that kind of those days are probably behind her. I don't know. We'll see. But I think she's unlikely. Cicely Tyson. Mm-hmm. She should have won back in the 70s. Um, yeah. And Angela Bassett. I think Angela Bassett's going to get one before long. I have. She could. She, uh... I think, yeah. I think out of everybody on my list, she's probably the most likely. Yeah, it's it is interesting though. The, like you're talking about Glenn Close, um, the the some of the some people just seem to be unlucky in the sense that they get nominated for a really great part at a time when there is an like someone else there like there is someone else who's just sort of come from behind or something like that. Like Olivia Coleman, it was yeah. it was like oh wow, this is a fantastic performance, you know. And so she was kind of a shoe in, mm. and it, it's like they're competing. In the wrong year, almost. Like we were talking about Lawrence, uh, Peter O'Toole often seemed to get nominated right. when he was just basically competing in the wrong year. I think the first time he lost the, the Oscar for Lawrence of Arabia to um, Gregory Peck for To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, right. and so you're, you're and like that's one of the all time great performances. So yeah, exactly. You... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, oh. yeah. Yeah, I think we need to respect our character but, actresses more. Like, there's so many great character actresses who just turn in such solid performances constantly, and and they don't get mm-hmm. any love for it. You know, it's they they deserve they deserve more attention. Margot Martindale, man, <laughs> esteemed character actress Margot Martindale, what are you doing here? I was I was waiting for you to say it. <laughs> I'm so good at acting. It's not my fault. Like, damn it, why am I so good at acting? Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I think that some of these people really do um, have a chance, but I don't know. Hollywood loves to reward their young up and comers. So That's I true. think it's it's weird. It's like, Cicely Tyson was nominated before I was born, and people that were born after I graduated from high school are winning before she is, Mm -hmm. you know? It's crazy. So, anyway. Uh, Any others you can think of, want to throw out there? Uh, Not really. I mean, there's so many. (laughs) There's so many who just, Mm -hmm. like... um, Yeah. I know people want me to say Jessica Chastain and uh, Saoirse Ronan and um, who else? Emily Blunt, Amy Adams. And to me, it's like all of them are probably going to get it. Like, I don't feel like any of them have been criminally overlooked. I think that it's I mean, it's a little weird for someone to have four nominations before they're 30 and not have won an Oscar. But Search is going to get one. <laughs> like, there's just almost no doubt in my mind that it's going to happen for her, you know? Yeah. So I'm not worried about her. But when I look at the fact that Michelle Yeoh never gets nominated, she does great things and gets overlooked every time. You know, when I look at Glenn Close, seven times nominated, no wins, and she's, you know, she doesn't have that many more years left. That's, to me, that's where you look at what's criminally overlooked yeah you you, i think you get these actresses that that have become so they're so venerated like glenn close is one of the most respected actresses working today like she is she is Mm -hmm. you know hate using this phrase but she is a living legend right um and that there's almost this like oh well yeah of course she's great like she's she's wonderful but then they they kind of that's all that they're going to do. That's all that they're going to say. It was, it's similar with some of the actors that haven't been, that haven't actually won. You're just like, oh yeah, well he's, he's amazing. You know, he's, he's one of the best actors we've got, but they never get far enough really to, to get that award. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know why people are so, are complaining about Saoirse Ronan. It's just like, yeah, she's, she's great. She's also like, you know, 18. I don't know how old she is. Right. <laughs> she's young. I think she's 25 now, but yeah. Yeah, she's gonna well, get, that's she'll thing, be like, fine. Like, she's gonna, I think that she's gonna get an yeah. Oscar. Yeah. Well, look at what happened at this year's Oscars. Three out of the four acting winners were first time winners. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
all of them were over the age of 40. Yeah, I think that in, unless so. you, you happen to hit in a particular year where just, you know, as a young actress, your your performance just so outweighs in some ways um, everybody else's that you kind of, you have to build up clout to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, although there have been some weird ones, so who the hell knows? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. But... It's fun to talk about yeah. and speculate. It's going to be interesting to see what happens this year. Like I'm telling you, we're going to have like Margot Robbie going up against uh, Gal Gadot Gal- yeah, Gal- and Gal-, Gal Gadot and uh, Elizabeth Moss. Like that's that's what the Oscars are going to look like this year. I can't wait. I am okay with that. That'd be fine. <laughs> and Tom Cruise in Best Actor. Exactly. Yep. You know, we were just and with like mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh man, I would love it if he got an Oscar nomination for Birds of Prey. Although I would not love it if he was the only Oscar nomination for Birds of Prey. That would really piss me off. Yeah, that like, would make sure, sense. sure. Nominate the dude. <laughs> not any of the girls. <laughs> He is great oh, though. Man. Like I, I, I was watching it yesterday, and he, one of his, one of his, his whole scene where he's like talking about the shrunken heads, and like <laughs> all of that is just he, he, he does such a good job at making you hate him and also really entertaining you at the same time. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a very well done performance because just like I cannot wait for him to die. But also, I'm enjoying watching him before that. Like, it's a nice balance. Yeah. He's so, so good. Yeah, exactly. He's so good at being, like, really creepy and terrible and awful. But not to the point of, like, repulsion where I don't, I hate every time he comes on screen. Yeah. Like, I love every time he comes on screen because I know what he's about to do or say or or an act is going to be terrible but is also going to be really fun to watch it mm-hmm. and just make me that much happier when he gets what's coming to him at the end and so some just some of the ways he delivers lines like when he when they get when they lose the diamond and they like show him a picture of Cass and he's just like she's a child <laughs> <laughs> just the way that he says it is so mm-hmm. funny and he's and he just pitches a fit right there he's just like this is these are my things these things these are my things why is this happening to me why you know, all of that is just so funny. Like, why don't I own the crossbow killer? I like crossbows. <laughs> He's, it's, it's one of those performances that it's, it's really easy to overlook how good it is and how nuanced it is. Because it really is just such an entertaining performance in a really fun movie. But that's some really quality acting that he's doing. Yeah. And... Yeah. Oh, man. I'm going to go watch it again right now. <laughs> uh, what are you watching this week, Lauren? What am I watching this week, Lauren? I, I think I'm going to try to keep one of the films that's on Kino Marquee right now is uh, The Whistlers, which I've seen advertised um, yeah. uh, a couple of times. And I've been interested in that. And so I was like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll support I want to support Film Forum, which is one of my favorite sort of local art house theaters. Uh, so I might try to watch that. I have also just been watching... Criterion now has so many good films uh, that they just put up. And, like, there's a whole bunch of Colombian noirs that um, my roommate and I have been watching a lot of. And there's just some films that I haven't gotten to see or that have, have been, like... I have, I, like, I've never seen Blackboard Jungle. I've never seen Foxy Brown. Uh, and those are up there now. So I think I'm going to spend a little bit of time uh, watching some of those because we are stuck inside forever <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yep i was so excited i was looking through they have this 70s style collection on mm-hmm. criterion and i was looking through the titles and i was like man i've never actually seen clute you know i've never seen a couple of them that were on there i was just like huh i never did see the original shaft i'm gonna watch <laughs> it you know so i'm pretty excited and um they also have three Yorgos Lanthimos films. Mm-hmm. They have Kineta, which is his very first, basically his directorial debut. He had co-directed some stuff before that, but it's his first time as a solo director. I'm really excited because I've wanted to see that forever and it hasn't been available anywhere. So, uh, yeah, some good stuff. And also, oh, big news. My ukulele came. 
It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. I'm learning the ukulele. I'm so excited. So, so at the end of the quarantine, you're going to play us a concert, right? Yep. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to write a new theme song and I'm going to play it. Awesome. I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. Yeah, you are. Yes, you are. I'm holding you to that. Holding you to okay. it. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Karen Peterson is going to write a theme song and she's going to play it on the ukulele. And I'm going to make her. I'm going to make her. One of my friends asked me why the ukulele, and I said, well, I've always been interested in it, but um, when I saw Little Monsters, I thought, if Lupita Nyong'o can do it, so can I. <laughs> do, do you ever watch uh, uh, Superstore? I have seen it. Uh, so I, mean, you... I haven't watched a lot of it, though. The So the character Sandra, um, who's a very funny character, but one of the things that she does is that she learns to play the ukulele. Uh, and but she can only play like REM songs. That's all that she knows on the ukulele. And so it want like a, a character. They think a character is dead, and so she plays this REM song for him. And just like, did he like this? I'm just like, no, it's the only song I know. <laughs> That's awesome. That'll be me. Same. Just okay. gonna play. It's the end of the world as we know it, over and over again. <laughs> It's the only song I know, but it's damn cool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, that's uh, that's what's happening in our neighborhoods. Let us know what's going on with all of you. Keep in touch. We want to know. Uh, you can reach out to us on our Twitters and Instagrams at Citizen Dame Pod. Uh, Facebook.com slash Citizen Dame is another way. Or you can send us an email. We do check that. CitizenDamePod at gmail.com. Go to our official website. I think we should probably throw some stuff up there. Maybe some lists of recommendations, things we're watching, stuff like yeah, that. I, so we'll we'll do that in the next week. And I'm I'm gonna try to get some reviews up as well. Awesome. And that is citizendamepod.com. If you would like to support the show as our awesome patrons are doing, shout outs to Heather, Adriana, the Crooked Table Podcast, Michael, James, Katie, Cariata, Mason, Matthew, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Thank you so much, guys. If you want to join their numbers, you can find us on patreon.com slash citizen dame, where for as little as a dollar, you can help us keep the lights on. For three bucks, you can uh, help us... Or you can get access to the show early. And for five, you get access to our bonus content, which we finally put out a bonus episode this week all about Tiger King. And you definitely don't want to miss that. No, um, you really don't. <laughs> and we will have more bonus episodes coming. Like, that's... We're we're on a new path. We're ready to, to do this. So we're going to have some really fun stuff we're talking about some uh, watch parties all kinds of different fun things in store for our patrons uh, we also have our Zazzle store up and running if you just want a new shirt because you're tired of the ones that you've been wearing all day long you can find one at the Zazzle store zazzle.com slash citizen dame and uh, yeah if we also do have a ko-fi account ko-fi ko-fi.com slash citizen dame too you can find us on our personal individual Twitters and Instagrams. Lauren, where are you at? I am at LH Business. And I am at Karen M. Peterson. And uh, so that's it. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Crossbow killer. Struck again last night. Rossi and four of his guys. People don't kill people I own without my permission. Well, why doesn't this crossbow guy know that? You know that. I know it. Why doesn't this crossbow? Why don't I own the crossbow guy? You should own it. I mean, I like crossbows. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Morning. Come in. Come in. We're just finishing up a little business. Look around. Shar of Ecuador. They're amazing people. Surprisingly gentle. I think you might like them. Really? Mm. They boil the heads of their enemies and they make these little fellas exquisite, aren't they? Look. Mm-hmm. Look at those little ears. His little haircut. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's a thousand years old and now wow. he's just an ornament in my living room. Ooh, I love it. <laughs>